0: Hello, beautiful women, and welcome to the Claimed Podcast. I'm Anna Rova, your host, and let me tell you a little bit about myself if you're new to the podcast. I'm a femininity and feminine embodiment coach, and I run a very powerful program for single, successful women who want to attract and keep committed masculine men or women who are already in relationships but want to change that feminine masculine polarity in their relationship. beautiful women and welcome to another awesome episode of claimed today i have a special guest her name is kate leeper a force of a woman she's a feminine embodiment coach just like me in fact we met doing our coaching certification together she's also has been a teacher and a psychotherapist and really her her body of work is all around becoming unsmothered which is if you look at her website the process of internal dismantling of a patriarchal systems and FYI parentheses, we talked about, I guess, a reaction to the word patriarchy in the podcast. So tune in and structures that keep women mothers from accessing their power, pleasure and potential in order to awaken, embody and reclaim their fullest, authentic self-expression. So we talked to Kate about, you know, her superpower and all of that stuff and then we dive into her work and you know what is the biggest pain that she's finding her the women who work with her are experiencing which is basically you know you go 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 you operate in your masculine energy and then after you've done that and you become a mother and it's like or not but most mostly she works with the mother and it's like well who i am and how do I feel? And so she has amazing t- tools and resources as a feminine and a coach, obviously, to help women like that. And that brings us to the discussion, like as soon as she mentioned patriarchy, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know how I feel about that word. And so we get into, I felt, which is a productive conversation about all of that. So tune into that definitely. And then after that, we talk about, obviously, my experience and her experience with getting pregnant and birth. I'm currently at the time of of this recording I'm nine weeks pregnant with my second and yeah I just talk about oh my god this is the this is the worst <laughs> first trimester so we talk about grief and that cycle of life and grief and how you mature through motherhood and Kate's wisdom you know was really helpful for me so I hope you're going to resonate with all of that check out uh, Kate if you enjoy this conversation and I'll tell you about that at the end of the episode so enjoy <laughs> So, claimed listeners, uh, welcome to another awesome episode. I have a very special lady with me here today. Her name is Kate Lieber and she's calling in all the way from Australia. And where are you? Queensland, Kate?
1: Okay. I'm on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Okay.
0: Yeah, awesome. And we've met, well, we've met once, I think. There was once, yeah. although it feels like we've known each other forever, I mean, for at least a few years. After.
2: Yeah, it's been years, yeah.
0: Yeah, we've done the um, feminine embodiment coaching certification with Jenna. So, oh, Kate, so beautiful to have you here today. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, today we're going to talk about the subject of motherhood in general, but it's also going to be so like for me, this is a hot subject, as you know. Because yep. I'm, what is it, nine weeks pregnant uh, with my second child. And it's been like such a roller coaster. So yes. I think it's great that we're coming in together now. And hopefully I'm going to get some wisdom and maybe some support from you. Because I'm like, you know, sick <laughs> of it all. So, Perfect. yeah. well, Joel do all of that. Let me ask you a few icebreaker questions first. So,
1: Kate, what do you feel is your superpower? Oh, my superpower. I think more and more. It's coming to really celebrate this my capacity to collaborate and bring people together and I just, just create dynamic relationships and partnerships. And I'm loving doing that more and more. So yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna claim that at the moment.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Who is one person dead or alive that you'd love to have dinner with? <sighs>
1: This question is funny because I immediately kind of went to like, I don't know, some famous inspiring mm-hmm. guest, but you know what? I just want to have dinner with my sister. She died in 2019 from a brain tumor and it's just like, you know, to sit down and have dinner with her again, it would just be, yeah, that's everything.
0: Yeah. That's what I thought you were going to say. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that event was such a transformative event of your life from what I yeah. remember, you know, and I haven't been following you back then, but I know that. And I mean, I have seen glimpses of that, but from what I know, that has been just such a catalyst for everything for you.
1: Yeah. It's it's redefined who I am, the way that I live my life. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Hmm. yeah beautiful yeah. okay and my last question here a bit of a serious one also is uh what is your biggest fear
1: oh, what is my biggest fear i i guess it, in its most simple terms it would be losing one of my children mm. yeah that's probably you know when you i obviously i have lots of fears about you know not um living out my potential and and losing out on things and you know all of that but whenever I contemplate the possibility of ever losing one of my children, that's when, you know, it actually I can't even, I can't even go there. And so that's got to be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So have you, I mean, obviously that is, I think, the biggest fear of, of, of any mother. Like what mm-hmm. I remember I had an intense period of like the first six months, maybe even up to a year with Zoe where I literally had like, visions and thoughts about, you know, somebody breaking into the house and like cutting our throats and she's crying here and di- I, I still wow. have that sometimes when yeah. things happen or whatever, especially when she was little. And so now you have three children and I wonder, have you made peace with that or how do you go? Do you just <laughs> not think about it? Or like How do
2: you go about it?
1: How do you not? Right. I, I feel like motherhood cracks us open in a way that is just you you just can't anticipate it right you cannot anticipate it and so the kind of love as a mother that is present for your child and you know the kind of love that that means that yeah you would die for that child like how do you get ever kind of make peace with that i guess i feel hmm. like we and look in the work that we do anna it's something that I'm not one to kind of run from discomfort and feelings. I've really worked so much over recent years to actually allow those sensations to be present and to, I guess, work to create some safety for those to be explored. But I mean, shit, in saying that, it's like, it it makes me feel physically ill. So I just think that that is something that is always going to exist. And that's how we know how much, like our capacity for that kind of fear and that kind of, well, it's it's like a terror, isn't it, that that would ever exist, mm-hmm. is reflective of our capacity for love and to love these little beings. Mm-hmm. And you kind of can't have one without the other. Yeah. So you just, well, what I do,
0: I just kind of not think about it. When I have a thought like that, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, that's
1: unreal. And yeah. Um, yeah.
0: just moving on, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is it. We acknowledge it's there and it's not real. Yeah, it's it's horrible. But what is? Yeah, well, I think it's like if it becomes like something that you ruminate on, that really becomes a problem, right? So Mm -hmm, um, mm it's one thing that's like entertaining the thought, but then if it becomes actually something that is really dictating your life, yeah, 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 there's something needs to happen. When I
0: was going through that, I also thought about. You know, in the past of all the women and all the mothers, you know, for thousands of years, especially, you know, just even if you think about like 100 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, where life expectancy was, I can't remember the details, but, you know, you might have had, I don't know, six children yes. and only, you know, half of them would live up to maturity, for example. And I remember that intense moment when I realized How much stuff, like motherhood stuff? I don't know if you ever thought about that, but how much motherhood suffering that was in regards to death of children? Yeah, I was just like, oh my god! Like, how did women? And I guess it's also when I think about back then, it it was just the reality of things, and everybody was dealing with that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so when I thought about that, I'm like, how lucky we are to live where, you know, child mortality is just so, so low. And so, and that Mm -hmm. gives me also hope that, you know, this is not real. Like your child, you know, she'll survive and she'll be fine in comparison to like our grandmothers and great-grandmothers and how they just dealt with, you know, stillbirth and children dying before five all the time. And it was just, I was like, oh my God.
1: Yeah, that is so, and, and I think that that's a really... The, the ancestral trauma and that kind of intergenerational mm-hmm. uh, trauma that that is in our bones right that is in our DNA so of course that will be a natural um yeah we will carry that and we will feel mm-hmm. that but, but yeah love that well I don't love it obviously but I I find it a really meaningful conversation and reflection because yeah we are in such different times and Whenever you hear of a child's dying in some kind of traumatic way, or, or yeah, somebody's through one way or another, you, you, oh, I don't know, the even the vicarious trauma of that is so massive, but because yeah, it is so rare, but yet we do carry that.
0: Yeah. And maybe that's what it is that we carry. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's because that's child, right now, child's death, like, I don't personally know anyone who's experienced that, you know, I know a few cases here and there, maybe twenties or, but that's rare, you know, to hear. Mm-hmm. And I thought about this, I'm like, Oh, children actually don't die. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they do die, but it's okay. not like we know somebody. Else.
1: And often, often it is really traumatic to be honest. Like, yes. It's not just like, you know, yeah, it's, it's something very, very significant and it rocks a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've I've absolutely been yeah. um, privy to that and had connections and friendships mm. that have been affected by that so and yeah that makes you stop and reflect on wow. how would I cope how you know how would I cope and I mean in all honesty when my sister died concurrently it was actually a sister of a very close old friend that I hadn't seen in a very long time but her daughter was also she was only three And she was diagnosed with a tumour, different place, very different situation, but ended up, she ended up dying about six months after my sister did. And so alongside my own journey, yeah, I was kind of on the (laughs) outskirts. And so that was, it just added a whole other layer. You know, grief has just been so, so prevalent in my life. And I know we've kind of taken this into quite a dark space, but, I, you know, you cannot, as long as we live, as long as we are alive and as long as we are opening our heart to, to loving those around us and to living really full, rich lives, we're going to face really tragic, mm-hmm. um, traumatic, grief-stricken experiences. So, yeah, and, yeah. and look, collectively, obviously, Twenty twenty was it was just yeah. It was grief. it was grief stripping yeah. yeah, I mean, like, what's the word? <laughs> An absolute shitstorm. Yeah. So so all of us are walking around in some way, shape, or form, impacted by grief. And as mothers, it, there'll be some really interesting ramifications mm-hmm. around.
0: Yeah. So I know we huge to talk about. I mean, in general, like I asked you in the beginning, what's really prevalent for you? And you so beautifully described like, you know, that cycle of grief and rebirth, especially in motherhood. And Mm -hmm. it's so interesting for me. My experience has been so in when we actually had our wedding with String in 2017 in September, Mm -hmm. 10 days before the wedding date, my cousin passed away from like blood cancer or something like that. And like I was going, so I was supposed to fly home for the wedding, but I flew home earlier for the funeral and wow. then we had the wedding after that. So that was, you know, the things were put into perspective in terms of that. Here here we have a death and here, you know, 10 days yeah. later, we have a yeah. wedding to celebrate. And funny enough, um, now, this pa- this January his mother, which is my aunt, she passed away from, and she was like seventy, but she passed away from COVID yeah. this January. And then, hang on, what what where are we? January? Yeah, so that was
1: twenty twenty one. Yeah, that
0: was, I that was December. Sorry, and then a month later, I find out that, that I'm pregnant. Yeah. and it was so interesting because in the this whole thing was my other auntie involved, who's like a mother to me, and then. So I, it's kind of interesting how you witness different players in the story and, mm-hmm. you know, different contacts. But through her, she experienced, you know, the, the death of her nephew, who was one of or her favorite nephew. Mm-hmm. And then her favorite niece got married 10 days later. And then fast forward, you know, three years, her sister passes away and then her niece is pregnant now. So yeah. she's kind of been, and she's like, is so much grief and, yeah, And I told her the news about my pregnancy early on because I knew this would kind of, and she told me, like, this is something that she could actually hold on to, you yes. know?
2: Yes. It's
0: that new life and how things work. And mm-hmm. she always told me, you know, like, especially because her n- nephew was one child, she's like, you have to have two kids absolutely 100% because if something happens to the other one right. you have the yeah. other one and it was ingrained in me like that and i, I don't know it's just you know life is fascinating like that yeah. what happens and what we we'll learn from it looking back and mm-hmm.
2: you know,
0: what it makes us and of course my mother passed away when i was really young and
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh my god like it's a whole tangled thing i know we're going to get to this and I'd love to hear your thoughts about, because I know your journey with children has been also quite amazing and that whole cycle of everything. So before we get yeah. there, Kate, um, please introduce yourself to us. Tell us who you are and, and what you do.
1: Sure. Yes. So thank you again for having me, Anna. I'm really excited to chat. Um, I feel like we always have really vibrant conversations and mm-hmm. So it's super cool to be here and yes, we did the Feminine Embodiment Coaching Certification together a few years ago now. Prior to that, my background is actually in teaching and then psychotherapy. So I have a Master of Counseling and Psychotherapy and, you know, for me, I have always been drawn to working with women and mothers particularly. It's been a huge part of my story. So in my more clinical work as a psychotherapist, which I was doing up until my second daughter, so I have three daughters, my second daughter was, I think she turned one and then I came across the more embodiment realm, which for me was just like coming home because the way that I had been working was much more clinical, although I've always been really drawn to the wisdom of the body as well as creativity and expressive modalities, um, therapeutic modalities, the framework, you know, it kind of came from quite a scholarly academic background and, and it was all about, you know, proving myself to the world, how smart I was, so it was let's, let's see how many degrees I can get and then I just realised, you know, there's places in me that... I know I need to access, you know, I I knew I was holding on to a fair bit of trauma, a lot of shame, a lot of kind of internalized, uh, yeah, grief and loss as well. And I just wasn't sure how to access it. And I just had this knowing that I couldn't truly serve the women and mothers that I was through my therapy practice until I just did that deep dive, you know, until I really um, got up close and personal with that stuff. And so, you know, Jenna and the School of Embodied Arts, and as soon as I came across that, it was like, okay, that's me. (laughs) Let's give this a go. And I now teach for the School of Embodied Arts as well, so they can't, you know, Jenna can't get rid of me yet, (laughs) Which, which is a gift because I just embodiment... And reconnecting to my feminine has literally transformed my personal life, my professional life. It has, yeah, opened me to so much more of life and of knowing myself that mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just so grateful. So,
2: yeah, my work in the
1: world is this really interesting fusion of all Um yeah, brain, body, spirituality—it's this kind of interesting integrated framework that I mm-hmm. now play with.
0: Yeah, but you mostly work with mothers, and the whole theme yeah. is is motherhood, and you're helping mothers um, access that creative and central living, really.
1: Yeah, that I—I uh, I suppose that has really come to the surface in the past kind of 18 months, it's just become, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, I think it takes a little bit of time, right? When we're working with others to really get into our groove and really know who it is we're here to serve and how. So yes, mothers predominantly who I serve. However, I've also worked with a number of grandmothers who of course are still mothers, but you know, they're in very different stage of life and also mm. non-mothers but who would identify really as nurturers in some way shape or form and or who are less concerned necessarily about their relationship to mothering their children but actually and look it's all interconnected actually their desire is to remother themselves You know, so when I speak to my work around mothering, it's actually not just this linear kind of Mm -hmm. or this really, yeah, this simple kind of support, just supporting mothers in that stage of life. It's really looking to, well, how do I deeply desire to be mothered and how can I support myself in those ways? And therefore, if, you know, if children and families and nurturing is also involved then it all just ripples, right it all just flows on down so yeah Mm -hmm. and the creative and sensual piece is is and the expressive piece working with mothers it becomes very apparent how so many of us at some point and look this is really very much impacted by our socio-cultural landscape and and how we're taught mothers are meant to show up in their life and how you know the programming around the good enough mother and the, the good girl and and how she then is uh, wired to mother in acceptable ways there's you know there's all of that that affects how much we as mothers switch off our creative identities, our sensual identities, the ways in which we deeply desire to express ourselves but yet, you know, feel so inhibited or we've been really hurt or shut down mm-hmm. and in relation to that. And so it's just this whole unlearning and relearning how to, how to tap back in those those parts of who we are and it just you know when we can unlock that wow the shifts are just
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I'm curious like what I'm trying to understand and obviously like you know we know each other and we kind of you know we know each other's work but I actually never had a chance to deep dive with you into it and perhaps maybe because I mean I'm sure I have all of these beliefs and if you know, every woman needs some unmothering. I mean, what is it you call it? You know, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah things like that. that you know, <laughs> it's just for me personally, it hasn't been. Well, it it is now. Well, right. I don't know. It hasn't been like with Zoe, you know, with my first daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, oh, I haven't been your target market, so to say, or whatever, and oh. that's why I'm. I'm actually not. I mean, for many different reasons, whatever. So I'm really trying to understand, and perhaps there's women there who are listening to this. And I mean, I'm sure there's mothers there who, you know, who would benefit so much from your work and your wisdom and your message. So I'm just trying to understand deeper, like, is the woman that you work with, well, let's talk about the mothers, right? Because that's yeah. predominantly yeah. what you focus on. Like, what is her main struggle? Like, wh- what mm. is the... When women come to you to work with you, mm-hmm. what is it really about? Like, what's missing there? What's the pain that they're dealing with?
1: Yeah. Oh, and it is so entrenched in this idea of reclaiming humanness. You know, like all the facets of who they are. And so, a woman will, I guess, often I hear that a, that someone will be drawn to my work because they feel like they stopped giving themselves permission to really show up as all of who they are or even explore their potential for who they are. You know, all of a sudden they've just looked in the mirror one day and just gone, who the fuck am I? You know, just this kind of walking cardboard cutout on autopilot. But the particular woman who might be drawn to, as you mentioned, my unsmothering framework tends to be a woman who perhaps as a child identified as being innately creative and artistic and in her body maybe she grew up dancing, painting, whatever it is, you know, it's real honestly, the scope is is huge. But someone who is particularly expressive and all of a sudden and I guess my example that I gave earlier seems to be pretty common that they were perhaps ushered down some road of either academia or, you know, proving themselves in some way because there was this drive mm-hmm. to succeed, right, um, to fulfill whatever it is that they've been led to believe was the ultimate success. And as you and I have kind of explored and fleshed out in in a lot of our work, they've found themselves in this, I guess, totally dominated by their masculine energy and have really lost touch with what what brings them aliveness. And Mm -hmm. they're either really numbed to their bodies, their pleasure, their capacity to be expressive because they were perhaps shamed you know those aspects were internalized as something quite shameful that didn't fit into the good girl like the good girl narrative honestly is like the common thread throughout all the women who come to me it's just like yeah it's like no there was this expectation of me to to be polite and small and nice and just you know this is what success looks like and so here i go following that And, yeah, so unsmothering, it is this process of unlearning these expectations, uh, external and internal expectations, cultural expectations and the norms and then beginning to really own who we are and I say we because I'm still kind of on this ever-evolving journey and express that and be in devotion to that. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, you know, mothering and intimacy, partner intimacy and family dynamics really sit at the core of these women's explorations, you know. They, they illuminate what they feel is missing or what they grieve in terms of their identity and and the depth that they crave in their relationships. So there's a lot of commonalities there. I hope that kind of paints a bit more of a clearer picture.
0: Yeah. So I imagine a woman, actually, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my sister. So she's a woman who was that. Mm -hmm. So, oh my God, like my sister was, it's really funny how, we're quite opposite in the sense of where life led us in our journeys but she was the always the creative one the writing poems one Mm -hmm. winning all the contests (laughs) in terms of like oh my god like you know she's at the top of the game with essays and philosophy and la 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 whatever you know and then She went to university to another country and she ended up pursuing a degree in political science, but life was so hard. And the message that we got as girls, you know, raised by emotional and available father was like, you need Mm -hmm. to get out, you need to succeed, you need to make money, Mm -hmm. education. is So she went through that whole path opened her business over the last 15 years, was just working like a workhorse to right. make it all happen. And so in the meantime, she had two children, you know, and um, when I asked her, like, it's so bizarre. It's like, I'm like, did you feel anything in pregnancy? Not really. Two mm-hmm. cesareans, you know, and right. and now after 15 years, the business is super successful. So like mm-hmm. she's achieved right. everything she's ever wanted. But now there comes this, like, I'm caught, like, that's us life midlife crisis, you know, we're constantly talking about this, <laughs> this isn't like, like, who am I? You, okay, yeah. n- now what? You know, like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so there's this, like, shift of, okay, now what? And, and re- a realization that that goal, that masculine achievement goal of survive and make money and all of that was achieved and then there's an emptiness there you know so now she's on this whole journey so i'm assuming it's that would be very similar to and you know there's like tiredness and kind of i don't know you know and there's always questions and and i mean with my help well not with my help but with my inspiration because of the work although on the opposite side i was never the one who was like you know i was always like the center of attention natural born leader and then I found this whole embodiment thing. And I'm like, yeah. we're doing, you know, all of this. Um, and she was really inspired by my journey. And that led her to like, I'm like, go find women's circles. And she started yeah. like doing women's circles and yeah. like crazy <laughs> and shit, you know? Um, it was amazing. But she's still kind of looking for herself in, in yeah. that way. So it's interesting yeah. how, that, how that happens. And so in the work that you do with women, Tell me a bit more about, okay, so how do we unlearn that? Like, how would, so let's Mm -hmm. say, because my sister's case is so close to me and I know I was struggling with that, what would the process be like? And what are some Mm -hmm. steps and milestones required? And what is the result, obviously, that you see in -hmm. the women who go through this journey?
2: Yeah.
1: Look, it is a process. And I feel like it's (laughs) no quick fix, right? It's not, something Mm -hmm. that happens overnight and the longer that you go just on that autopilot and you know you, you have more kids and life just happens and it is a really it's a deep process and it can be really uncomfortable and it's it's really about being incredibly honest with ourselves as well around owning, you know, where have I given my power away and pieces of myself away um, over time? And that can feel really yuck, right? So I feel like it's really helpful at the beginning of a journey, the unsmothering kind of journey to, you know, look at the bigger picture, look at those social, cultural, political dynamics that have that have kind of created this environment in which women and mothers have been you know painted in this particular role and what has restricted us what has given us these ideas how have we internalized the patriarchal constructs if you will that tell us you know this is our role and this is how we operate and this is how we are acceptable in society And often when we begin to do those explorations and get, like it takes so much of the pressure off the individual to begin to understand themselves within this ecosystem, right? And within this wider context. So the unlearning component is kind of diving into that. And then it really is about looking, you know, once we've got that bigger picture and we can start to see, right, Hi, girlfriends. Sorry
0: to interrupt Uh, your listening to the episode, but I quickly wanted to jump in and let you know that I have prepared something exciting for you. If you're interested in polarity, femininity and how to embrace your feminine and how to attract primarily masculine men in your life, this announcement is going to be very useful for you because I'm talking about my signature training Uh, i'm like how do i describe this experience because it's really an experience you know this is a signature training my one hour webinar that i've put together and it honestly it's it's been through a few iterations in the last two years but i feel like this is the best yet training of mine that didn't come from you know reading two books and three courses and like coming together in a Copy paste thing that I now advise women to do. No, this has come from me, my own lived experience through my dating life and through finding and attracting the masculine man of my dreams, and then marrying him and creating a family. This also came, yes, indeed, from a lot of research and learning and courses and coaches and oh my god, you name it. You know, it's been a it's been a journey of five years for me ab- about that time. And also, this has come from my clients. So the previous training, how is this different? If you've signed up for another training of mine. Which was the live female success, by the way. This is different because this is now coming through a distillation of my work one-on-one with women who I've helped get to that place where they're just attracting better men and they start attracting better masculine men and are on their way to actually to a relationship eventually not only masculine but also masculine committed men so if you are in a situation where you're attracting men that are less than desirable let's say they're feminine men who don't want to lead don't want to take charge and men who are unavailable then this training is for you I will have to call All this training, how to start attracting your masculine committed men, basically in 30 days or less. And in this training, I will share with you some of the key things that I've learned throughout this journey that are helping. That's what my work with women is based on. So in this 60-minute training, you'll find the number one reason why you're still single and can't attract a committed masculine man. It's not what you think. How to break through the panthers of attracting unavailable or feminine men, as I said, and find your blind spot so you can attract the men you want. How to master the feminine masculine polarity so you start feeling taken care of. Claimed and finally be able to let go of control and uncover the lie of female success that's keeping you stuck, exhausted, and unfulfilled, which means in masculine energy all the time. So you can start living in freedom and joy and much, much more. So if you're interested, go to girlskill.com webinar, sign up, and I can't wait for you to see this training and to let me know how it went. And by the way, there are no replays for this. So make sure you select the time that you can show up and be fully present. All right, I'm going to jump off and you continue listening to this
2: episode
0: i'm really curious about what are at least some of the biggest ones because mm-hmm. i know like i do similar work with women where i help them attract a partner and we look at belief systems and yeah. sometimes we look at the mother wound and things like that yeah. but i'm particularly interested i mean you probably know i have a love-hate relationship with the world patriarch i was waiting for this <laughs> yeah because I mean your stuff is amazing but as soon as I'm like patriarchal blah, blah, blah I'm like Ugh, you know um so I wanted to ask you about this because I'm curious yeah. because so here's my stand and you know like we are both adult women to have this conversation even though we might not agree on it absolutely right yeah so based on what you're kind of saying here's how I'm understanding this maybe you'll help me dismantle that maybe and understand how you see this so When you say like patriarchal ways, to me, in terms of motherhood, let's say, and women's place in the world or whatever, to Mm -hmm. me, what this means is like, okay, you know, men are on top and they want to keep women in the kitchen or they want to keep women as mothers, let's say, Um, or like in the kitchen, motherhood, that's your role. Don't go anywhere else. But at the same time, when I talk to you about a woman who you typically work with, Mm -hmm. And, you know, like my sister, she's definitely not a product of the patriarchy because she's like,
2: I'm going to
0: succeed. Okay, well, you you tell me what you think about that. It's like the problem today. And that's why for me, patriarchy is like, uh, yeah, of course, this, I think this idea resonates with women who, are kept small but what i see today in the world Mm -hmm. is the opposite picture of women being in their masculine energy as you mentioned and that's a result of how we benefited from the patriarchal system where it's like all right go do whatever and then we forget that feminine side and the motherhood side and negate that that's Mm -hmm. the world that i see predominantly and i'm curious what is the world that you see in the patriarchal system
2: yeah
1: oh look and you know i'll preface this by saying I am all about nuance and complexity. And I just, everything that you have said, I agree with. What I see, the women who come to me, it's not, and majority of them are really driven, ambitious women as well, right? Because let's face it, most women who will invest in dismantling and unpacking all of this shit and wanting to actually show up as their best selves, you know, they're driven to do so because they have this inherent kind of knowing that they're more than. So, yes. However, I feel as though even for the powerful breadwinning women, we still fundamentally live within patriarchal society. We live, you know, the systemic influence of patriarchy is inescapable even if as individuals you know we're strong powerful women and we're um, able to be the CEO of a company and and whatnot even getting trapped in that dominant masculine paradigm is really a product of well what is considered to be as far as you know our the western world and well the world generally is considered that is to be celebrated. You know, being that big corporate CEO is is to be celebrated and that's the epitome of success. So a lot of the women who come to me may appear on the outside to be like nailing it or they have aspirations to really, you know, to live their best lives and to fulfil their potential. But it's the systemic and often often the things that we don't necessarily realise, like the way that we support pregnant birthing women, you know, like the way that different, like even the education system is, is set up. All of the structures around some of our really foundational social, I guess, yeah, the social constructs that are there apparently to support us within patriarchy, often it's women and girls who miss out because our innate qualities and strengths, the way that, you know, the I guess it's it's those roles that we've been taught to live into or that are the acceptable roles for girls and women, they often will cut us off from our superpowers and they won't encourage us to really express who we are fundamentally. So hence the fact that you know, so many women are, are out of touch with their felt senses, with their embodied wisdom, because, you know, even though they go ahead and, and are incredibly successful on the outside and to society, like you say, and like you mentioned with your sister story, I'm so familiar with that story personally, and also with other women that come to me There is an emptiness when they look outside of what they're so proud of with their mothering and their beautiful children and perhaps they've been led to believe from a very young girl that, you know, you're equal to man, go off and get your degree and go off and be successful and and go off and, you know, live your best life. It becomes very apparent after they've got the degree when they follow perhaps that biological desire to have a baby and have you know have children all of a sudden society is not there to help them very effectively have the best of both worlds it's then expected that oh well yes yeah, sorry i know that you're you know you're all trained up and you've got this massive debt and you've got all these achievements but Now you've kind of got to put all that on hold because this is what's expected of you, you know, at home. And that can be very confusing and frustrating for an ambitious woman. So it's not,
2: I'm not in any way, shape
1: or form negating the beauty and the wonder and the incredible privilege that it is to be a mother simply caring for her children, but the culture that we live in and the patriarchy, you know, um, <laughs> quote, has kind of set us up to that space of emptiness because we're, we're taught we can have it all, but actually, we, we definitely can't. You know, we can figure out ways to show up in our most powerful, uh, authentic expression and we can as you and I have done, come back to how can we operate a thriving feminine business aligned to our cyclical nature and our embodied wisdom. But if we don't have those skills, we see it's either we have a kick-ass career or we're at home mothering. You know, it's really, really hard to see the potential for both until you start to break down and dismantle that box. So, I know I've gone on with a bit, bit of a rant there, <laughs> but, but um, I guess it is less about what, you know, less about the individual and more about those systemic challenges that women experience. Yeah.
0: So I totally see, like, absolutely. I mean, you know, I work with women like that as well. And my whole thing is also helping women get back to their bodies, right? And yes. get back into that connection, and I always say the lie of female success, you know, you've gone for the achievements and that feels empty. And guess what? The more successful you are, the less you're happy in a relationship with a man. So Mm -hmm. totally on board with that, you know, that the world today that we live in is totally, you know, values the masculine traits of it, of success and achievement. And it doesn't really value or put so much um, emphasis on the feminine of it all, right? Like the cycles and the seasons and all of that. However, (laughs) I'm going to go into my however, because I, and you know, this Kate about me, like the word patriarchy and, you know, like the pay gap and all of these things, the, the more research I've done and the more I thought about it and like really set with it, the more I realized that a lot of that stuff is driven by a lot of identity politics and agendas of feminists and have been promoted and promoted and promoted up until the point where today toxic mas- masculinity equals toxicity, that men, you know, like we find ourselves and I work with these women, like all men are cheaters or all men are toxic. There's no good men around and stuff like that. So, and I know that's not your lens of it, but I I feel like when we look at, especially like the words, I have a strong reaction to like systemic patriarchy and stuff like that. Because when you, for example, say that the women are missing out, I'm like, well, but if we look at research, Girls are the ones today who are having the best grades in school, who are mm-hmm. having the best opportunities out there educational-wise, where boys are actually slacking off and going down and down, where women are the ones who have all of the opportunities that men have and can earn as much as them, well, can not earn as much as them. The pay gap there has actual evidence that it's not necessarily the misogyny of it all but because of motherhood and everything and women also want to be mothers and want to be wives so in essence how i look at this today it's like actually women have today i'm talking about right now today not about 50 Mm -hmm. years ago a lot more opportunities because men can do not have the capacity to do both you know to be a mother nurse and Mm -hmm. whatever so I'm all about, and as you know, looking at how did we come here, right? Like, what is the system that works for mothers? And can we have it all? Probably not. Can you have a career, career, an amazing career, staying that while you have a baby? Probably not. And the last thing I'm going to add here in terms of patriarchy, which, you know, I truly believe is, and that's why I feel strongly about it, the whole patriarchy stuff was formed, I believe with the intention or yes things have gone wrong today. However if you look at you know tribal cultures and thousands of years ago a lot of this stuff is simple division of labor like women had to sit in the caves with babies like you have a 6 month old
1: you mm-hmm. know
0: and if you have a 6 month old you can't go out there and so Men were the ones who had to go out there and fight, you know, hunt and fight in wars in order Mm -hmm. to protect women and babies, to sit at home, to nurse, and to do all of that. So, you see how that narrative of how we came to where we are today, where there's so many factors that influence that not the misogyny of it all, at least I believe, but really, Mm -hmm. truly the division of labor of it all. And -hmm. of course, we came today to an exaggeration of a woman. Wanting to succeed and wanting to have babies, she wants it all. But you cannot have it all, you know. And like again, when there's I, this idea of a breastfeeding woman with a baby in a in a political, you know, there's that picture of. Yes, I don't remember. I'm not sure how I feel about that.
1: But I know we had this conversation before. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I know. We sat for hours and talked about this. But yeah. Do you see what I mean? But to me, having this picture, I'm just going to finish with that. Mm-hmm. Is almost like sitting in terms of a, I don't want to say victimhood mindset, Mm -hmm. but I'm all for like seeing how did we come here? And actually that there's some foundation to this. It's not that men gathered around and wanted women to sit down. And because all the men that I see around deeply value women, of course, it's in your belief system, right? And Mm -hmm. my man looks at me and like, you can produce babies you're yeah. freaking amazing and that's what i feel most men feel about their mothers their sisters their wives and their daughters so that's mm. the reality i live in sure, you know
2: sure.
1: yeah, yeah yeah and look i again i do feel this is i mean it's huge right we we honestly we could talk about this first, yeah. forever and i want to make very clear that when i speak to patriarchy i am not referring to men and i believe that men don't benefit from many of the systems that are in place as well but when i also want to make clear that i cannot and the more that i research and and listen to those with much more knowledge than i do in this realm i cannot separate the notion of patriarchy from capitalism from racism it is all it is all interwoven and, and ultimately it's anchored in Christianity and it's really not cut and dry. And so when as white women who essentially, you know, we're having this conversation today, we're essentially very privileged, I also feel like we, there, there's so much more that we are not privy to because of that privilege. So patriarchy benefits us in many ways in which, you know, for marginalised communities it absolutely does not And, and I think that there'd be a very different conversation happening here if we weren't two white women who are in very privileged situations. So I'm also married to a very supportive partner. But in saying that, it's been an enormous journey for us because, I don't feel like, you know, he knew who he married. He knew he married this ambitious firecracker, but at the same time, he is very ambitious and driven as well. So our journey has really been navigating this dynamic of like, well, hang on a sec, (laughs) who gets to really like be all they can be here. And so it's been really, really fascinating. And my work diving into all of that and understanding within me, you know, some of that the very early wiring, I guess, around a woman's place and and obviously that's specific to my own personal relationship to the mother wound and the father wound and this is, uh, Mm -hmm. it's going to be very different for each woman, right, what they grow up up being modelled and all of that kind of thing. But yeah. Each woman's going to have their own very specific story and, and experience themselves within their environment very differently and um, depending on, yeah, the opportunities that she has had or has not had, that's going to be a factor. So, yeah, look, we could take this in a million ways, but I agree it is so complex. But ultimately we have evolved and we're in a situation now where we're not in caves, thankfully, and we can share roles in ways that work for different families and we all just have to find our way with that you know but I am as you know an incredible proponent for the mother learning to soften into her feminine energy and feminine essence to receive to really tap into her sensual self to source her right because so many mothers are walking around just depleted shells because the expectations they've put on themselves or that they feel others have put on them or because they don't have the support that they need and so learning to source ourselves in this way is is revolutionary you know it is really where so much of our power lies.
0: Yeah absolutely so I agree with all of that and perhaps what we need is a different term for what a lot of people are saying patriarchy.
1: Yeah, I think it's really trendy too, right? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. well, you know, I just googled patriarchy, Kate. And while you said that it is not about men, but it is about men because patriarchy by definition is a system of society or government reading from dictionary in uh-huh. which the father or eldest male is the head of the family or a social system in which men hold primary power and predominant in roles in political leadership moral authority social privi- privilege and control yes, of property yeah. Yeah. and you know where men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it so mm-hmm. while of course it, and you know like this whole paradigm of it just i feel like that narrative excludes so many different things like biology Like evolutionary Mm. psychology, where if you look at the most egalitarian societies in the world, women choose by a matter of preference to not be in risky professions. Women choose, like, you know, in Silicon Valley in the U.S. right now, how many programs, you know, for women in tech. Mm. And no matter how much you promote women in tech, there's never going to be a 50-50 women in tech. Mm. So... I think what we need is a different word because patriarchy inherently means that the system built by men where women are excluded from that. Perhaps, I don't know what the word is there, but yeah, I agree. It's like yeah. There's so many societal problems today, but yeah. I'm not sure, I'm just not comfortable with equating that to patriarchy, which by definition is men, you know, because what I know to be about men in majority of, of course, there is like a bunch of pigs and sociopaths and misogynists sure. and shit like that and racists, but that is the minority. That is not the majority of men, at least in my belief system. Right, and <laughs> something maybe right. we need to yeah. work with. So that yeah. that's all. That's the argument there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: look, just a, just a really, uh, really that's small a. Bit of a- <laughs> and we are right. in this huge process yeah. of dismantling. You know, we are in we're in a really remarkable time now where yeah like shit is changing it is shifting mm-hmm. there, we are in in conversation and I just value these conversations so much because yeah nothing's going to change overnight it is a, a huge undertaking and we're in it like we're in that messiness right now so yeah being able to have these conversations is just yeah so important, and to to actually allow people to start feeling into their own experience what is true for them, um yeah, what lands and and what doesn't. and really, that's what it should be all about, right? Just not living in this kind of one track prescribed way it's it's yeah yeah,
0: yeah and it's up to us, you know, I mean, I'm by nature a very as you know me. You know, I'm all about objectivism and individualism because I my story has always been breakthrough and, you know, you have all the tools that you need mm-hmm. to live the life that you want. And if every single individual focuses on how they want to live their life, then that's how we're going to change the whole system, but not by talking about it for hours and concepts and, and things like that, because everything is so, so complex. Mm. Anyways, let's shift gears now because obviously, like, we can talk about
2: patriarchy and stuff forever.
0: (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about motherhood and that cycle of grief and rebirth. Mm. So I'm in the thick of it now, Kate. As you know, I'm in, you know, it's nine weeks pregnancy. I'm like, oh, my God, two, three weeks of this. And then I'm like in my second trimester. And then Mm. you know things are going to be great again. You know, make honor of a great again. (laughs) But you know, it's like if I'm if I'm really honest, and of course, there's so many things. They're like, oh, I shouldn't talk about it because I got pregnant so fast. And like the girlfriend of mine told me, even you know, oh, you should be grateful, and I should be grateful. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I can't negate what I'm feeling at the moment, which is you know, like shit. And I think about. In retrospect, and I told this to my husband, and I like why I wanted a baby. Like I told you, I wanted a second baby. I was yeah. like, put a baby inside of me. I'm ready, you know. Just like, <laughs> Ugh. and I don't know. I don't know. Like I did not think about everything that comes with that, and now yeah. I just forgot, you know. Although my first pregnancy exactly the same. Yeah, I was like sitting there, and and for me, it's just debilitating to be. In the space of like limbo, as you know me, yeah. I'm constantly go go well go 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 with my embodiment practices. I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm the same. I get yeah. as well,
0: you know. But yeah. I have a lot of drive and a lot of fire and a lot of ambition, and so the first pregnancy was actually it was in retrospect and birth itself. It was such a catalyst, and you were telling mm-hmm. me every single baby just, you know. But now here I am again, and I can't believe I fucking did this all already shouldn't i be like okay with it all and you know so Definitely. i don't know yeah. everything i could think about now or everything i can think about now like you people say congratulations i'm like yeah don't congratulate me because there's nothing to celebrate here you know and i know it's kind of stupid and selfish and how can you say that but that is my reality at the moment you know so i'm just wondering like what have you got to say about that beautiful cake oh, mother of
1: three <laughs> Where do I start? Honestly, <gasps> I look, I just empathize so deeply because my first trimesters are just hideous and have got progressively worse with each pregnancy. So I know I hate to tell you and it is like, I totally get it. It's, but the, the interesting thing is like when people say just be grateful you can actually do both, right? You can be grateful and then you can also acknowledge that you feel like utter rubbish and it is just hideous. And I think that that is, it's okay because like that is reality, right? It is always going to be paradoxical in that way, because your body is doing this incredible feat, that takes everything from you but it is so hard not to mention obviously you've already got a baby you're running this thriving business it's um life is full and and we were joking before we pressed record you know last year this time (laughs) last year I was literally in the exact space that you are now while you were just like rocking and rolling just oh getting things happening. Work. I was like, you
0: know what? I was looking at you, I'm like, kid, K, get your shit together. What is this? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, mean, I was so curious, you know,
0: I was empathizing with you, but I was like on a roll it is not being you like, what Yeah.
1: About? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, it's hilarious because you do like you do just forget. But we've literally swapped so you know um my pregnancy with my third was a surprise blessing i thought i was done after two and you know this is full circle from the beginning of our conversation today around this connection between grief and and love and life and death and how life is just constantly in this state of flux and
2: you know you just
1: cannot pick what's going to happen next because I did not anticipate having a third baby, and you know, my sister died in April in 2019, and I was pregnant in November that year, and I was actively avoiding pregnancy, right? And I'm I've got goosebumps because whenever I tell this story, it just uh I don't know, it's just crazy, but I was actively avoiding having another baby. You know, my husband and I were kind of using all the contraceptions and I fell pregnant. And then would you believe three weeks after my younger sister fell pregnant with her first baby mm-hmm. and our sister who died, she was in between us, middle sister, she always wanted two kids and here we are in the year of her death conceiving two babies and I had a girl and my other sister had a little boy and so last year as devastating as it was you know COVID and and just oh my god just the year of of
2: the unimaginable
1: we birthed my younger sister and I birthed these two just glorious humans into the world and they were both unplanned but yet just right? It was just part of the picture. It was part of the story. It was always meant to be. And so here I am at the other end of where you are now (laughs) in the throes of the sleepless nights and the, you know, navigating my work again and my other children and my husband and all the rest of it. And life is just this big, enormous, rich, full, messy kind of, I don't know, dream. (laughs) But like I could not have imagined that. And grief is on the surface of my life every day. Like it is just there. The loss of my sister is so fresh always. But also the deep love that I have for my girls and the like, the process of maturing through motherhood and integrating all of these life lessons and knowing that, because of my commitment and devotion to being in my body and to working through some of, a a lot of the, you know, the pain and the blocks to pleasure and to really accessing who all of who I was, really being in devotion to that woman has allowed me to just see and feel and experience motherhood in such a rewarding way, and yeah, I, I just I feel for you so much, but I'm also so thrilled for you, Anna, because the opportunity, like I truly, I truly am, and I don't know you roll your where eyes. Is and-
0: the opportunity you show me, because all I can see is this <laughs> negative stuff that I have to deal with. Okay, yeah. now just listen. Another three weeks of this like utter shit. And then, yeah, second trimester, boom, well, boom, boom, if it, ends, yeah. <laughs> it
2: May not end well, yeah, in my exactly. Last, Third I trimester, it yeah, it was really the
1: pain it there, was then
2: sleepless so, so yeah, <laughs> night.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where is Tommy? i is? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell it to you, real. It may not get better. Like it, honestly, my <laughs> pregnancy. With Maggie was the absolute pits. I was in so much pain. I had, a, I had an incredible birth experience and I'm very blessed. That was very healing for me after the pregnancy. And, I mm-hmm. you know, I wish that for you so deeply as well. But my baby girl, she just, I don't know, it, it, it is just you wait until you see your baby and <laughs> it will make sense. And in you know it will all just begin to make sense. But you are so present. Um, your work forces you to be present, right? It forces you to be with it in a way. It's like it's easy to kind of use your work mm-hmm. as a <laughs> like as a as a block to that. But also the invitation is there to just like it is shit. It is shit, and that is that. Like you don't need to polish that turd, Anna, <laughs> as we say in Australia. It is just <laughs> what it is um yeah but your body is remarkable and the wisdom and the maturity and the integration that is happening that you may not even you may not have any grasp of right now it will become apparent and and I feel like and this is my experience and I know that I've witnessed this in other women that I work with that I'm friends with and you know the creative blood that happens after a pregnancy where you're really in your body and a birth experience that you you know in which and it can look and feel however it looks and feels to you there's no prescribed perfect way to birth a baby but if you feel empowered in that experience and you are well supported and you really set up a postpartum period afterwards where you are looked after then the creativity that abounds from that space I have experienced to be phenomenal. And so now I'm just literally trying to put structures around that and to support myself to get projects off the ground because I just can't, it's it's overflowing. So I see that. Mm-hmm. I trust mm-hmm. that, that will be for well, you. tell
0: me about the baby. Like you started saying, because I, I do remember the sensation of it, but I can't actually remember it. And so with you, because this is your third one. The
2: baby or the birth? Well, no,
0: the, the ba- I know you had a home birth. Yeah. Which is freaking amazing. People tell me not to disclose that, but I'm actually planning the same. We'll see. Because they tell me, don't tell anyone because everybody's going to like project their fears on you. And oh, and, like you claim, you claim so it boundaries. <laughs> yeah. But tell me like when you said, you know, when the baby comes out, wait until mm-hmm. you see your baby. Well, tell me what you felt. Tell me what you're feeling now, especially this mm-hmm. is your third one.
1: And, look, I will, you know, the situation is that, you know, for me I had a little girl and there is a lot of my sister that I, when I experience my baby and I'm with my baby, it is also, it almost feels for me like the opportunity to connect with my sister. So that's a very personal,
2: Mm.
1: very personal share. Um, Mm. And so for me it was actually really part of the healing of that loss not that she will ever replace obviously my sister but it was I think also Mm. my family you know but it's almost like you know (sighs) meeting my babies it's it's like okay of course of course that is who they are they were always meant to be this little human in this family um mothered by me fathered by my husband and everything just kind of like makes sense. It's, and not, and it's not like, I don't want to paint this kind of rosy perfect picture because like, you know, that is absolutely untrue. There is so much reconfiguration and relearning how to do it again, even though because you've done it once, there's this, you know, there's a confidence there that, yeah, I can, I can do this, but it is, absolutely about adapting to the new dynamic and this is still happening this is still the case six months down the track but I just look at her and I just there's this quality that is just she just reminds me actually what's most important in a, and I don't want that to sound cliche but she just really brings me back into like when I'm with her mm. and I touch her and I care for her um, and she smiles at me and, you know, I'm just like, you know what, this is this is it. This is this is what's important right now. The other stuff yeah.
0: is. Yeah. I've experienced exa- exactly the same thing. Yeah. And that's what I think babies do. For, I mean, becoming a mother for me was the most incredible thing
2: because yeah.
0: it's like, oh, my God, if you're not a mother, I don't think you can. You can imagine it, but you don't know what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. this is here now and nothing else matters. Um, And it brings you so in touch with life itself Mm -hmm. and all of this other bullshit. You you realize it's all stories and drama Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that. So, yeah, well, thanks for that reminder.
1: (laughs) See, it's there. You know it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. It's just... Yeah, I just, you know, it is what it is and yeah. it's, you know, just going through it day by day. You know, I thought that, you know, I would have all the answers this time, second time, but of course not, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's different questions this time yes. and different things. And as you said, like you, you got to reconfigure, I had a panic moment like three days ago, of like, shit, how am I going to do this with two? And I mm-hmm. literally was like, oh my God, maybe it's not too late to just like oh, finish no. yeah. yeah I was like oh my god I can still yeah. go back to myself it's with fine. just one it's child fine. and time and everything and I was like oh my god but of course like I would never I don't think I would never act on it but you know the thought was there and I'm yes. not ashamed to say it because it's like just so bloody weird what's happening yes. to you when, when you're in pregnancy
1: That's right. Well, you have you got so much going on, you know, internally and obviously externally. But yeah, it is a a whirlwind. So I I Mm. deeply feel you, and I just I celebrate you know your honesty in that because I, I will be completely honest myself, having not expected to fall pregnant and having Maggie as a as a little surprise. It actually took me probably the first half of the pregnancy to really get on board because i was so sick and because mm. i was deeply grieving it was a very very rough ride but it is not just like you know every woman's experience is very very different and so we have to understand that one woman's journey is not going to be the next and i am so joyful that i have my daughter in my life and and I feel stupid sometimes because I'm just like, oh, Kate, if you were always going to have three. She was always part of the picture, picture. If only you just got on board earlier, right? But but that first, you know, that first trimester and even a little further in, I was still just, I was in shock that it was even happening. I was like, I can't believe it. This was mm-hmm. not the plan, right? And that's just an indication of a type a right there. My life had a plan. And so... I think, you know, being honest and having these conversations around everyone's individual journey and that it doesn't mean that we're ungrateful or that we're, you know, it is just reality. Life is complex. Life is messy. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because with that thought, and you're right, it's like that's why we're giving nine months to come to terms with with what's happening because for me that thought, oh, is it too late to is it too early to turn too late to terminate or whatever? There's also this idea of like the question, did I actually want it? And does that right. mean that the babies? And then the next thing is right. like the horrible guilt of like, oh, does it mean that this baby's unwanted and she's already feeling this? Yes. How oh, can I, I do that? You know, and then we beat ourselves like up. Total- yeah. Yeah, it's just such a mess, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then of course you can't even say anything about it to anyone really. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the work that I do, I think this is exactly why you and I are here and why women are listening to this podcast, because like that's the reality of things. And yeah. like you said, for you, just coming to terms with okay, this is actually happening. It took like five months. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And and then there's women on the other end who are no matter how they feel, they vomit every day, and they're like, "I'm just so grateful to have a baby," you know, because their journey up to that point was was yes. you know really hard to even yeah. get pregnant. Where I'm here, exactly, my second try of my cycle, and being like, "Boom!" Where you were actively avoiding that. It's just,
2: yeah.
0: Oh yeah. my god, that journey is insane. Is. Yeah. So let's finish up, Kate, and we're gonna finish up with. Just tell us where, where can women find you and get more of that raw motherhood, <laughs> creative aliveness and juiciness. I know we didn't go through, we didn't have time. We just, you know, as soon as so I said, what's the process? You said, okay, let's dismantle. I'm like, hang on, let's talk about the patriarchy. <laughs> and we didn't talk about the exactly. other stuff, but I'm sure, you know, if people, women follow you and read your stuff, you will talk about the actual process that happens after so tell us where where can we find you
1: yes yes no uh and and i just love taking conversation where it goes right i think that that's perfect so i'd much rather that than have some kind of you know plastic format that we have to adhere to and i just feel like you know the best place is really to keep having these conversations over um on instagram i use instagram mostly and then kind of facebook you know, post to that as well. Mm -hmm. And so you can find me at the Diamond Women Project. So that's women, plural. The Diamond Women Project is, it, it describes actually the body of work that is, I guess it underpins most of what I do with women in the feminine embodiment space is through eight diamond mother archetypes. So even though I won't always be talking about that Um, The archetypes are the eight facets of the mother that came into being a couple of years ago now um, that really are used as gateways into experiencing our bodies and who we are and our identities. So, um, yeah, so if you're following me on those platforms, I talk lots about creativity, sensuality, motherhood, all facets of who we are, a lot about, you know, understanding our grief and trauma as well. And also if you hop over to bit.ly archetype guide, there's actually just a little downloadable PDF that will give you a bit of a bite-sized, I guess, comparison of all the archetypes and how you can Invoke the archetypes in your body and begin to, to really play with them and and um, explore all of who you are now in motherhood. So, yeah, got lots on the agenda, Anna. Lots of free classes coming up and things like that. So, I'll be putting those out in the next
0: couple of months. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put everything in the show notes and uh, yeah, highly encourage everyone listening to check it out. All right, Kate, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, lovely. Super enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. And we'll be in touch. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, beautiful women. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kate. Check out the show notes and definitely check her out. If you're a woman who's struggling with, you know, not knowing who you are as a mother and really are resonating with that process of unsmothering. And I really, really encourage you to share this episode and you know, charge your coming energy, give back to me and my team, especially hey, help a pregnant woman out who's struggling. So share this with a girlfriend who really needs to hear this episode. And you can send her straight to slash 193 episode 93 or share this podcast straight from your podcasting app. And again, the best way to support me and my work and give back if if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review the podcast from iTunes or your your iPhone, um, and message me on Instagram uh, with a screenshot so I can I can thank you for it. All right, have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, girlfriends, hope you enjoyed listening or watching to this episode. And if you did, and if you resonate with most of the things I'm saying, and you want to learn more, and you want to finally. Start attracting masculine men, I have an invitation for you. So, as you know, I am committed and passionate about helping successful women attract and keep committed masculine men. So, I have a personal invitation for you. If you're resonating with everything and you're ready to step up and invest in yourself and take things to the next level, I would love, love, love to talk to you and see if you would be a fit for my work and what I do. And so, Basically, what I'm doing is I'm inviting you and it's a personal invitation If you, only if you resonate because I don't work for, with everyone and I'm not here to just, you know, make a quick buck and whatever. I'm here committed to your result and I will make sure that we go until the end and that we get you the result that you want, which is start attracting better men. So, I invite you to sign up to actually apply for a free discovery call with me. It's a call that is one hour long. And what we do is we talk about your current situation, where you are today, and what's wrong, quote-unquote wrong, with your dynamics with men, what you don't like. And then we're going to talk about what you really want and where you want to get. And at the end, if I find that that's a good fit, I'll tell you what I do. And I'll offer you to join us and uh, how we could work together. So just to give you a bit of context, this this experience is all about and what i'm going to offer to you, only if i find that that's a good fit is about number 1 putting yourself in the best position to start attracting committed masculine men and not through tactics and techniques or tips tricks whatever but just by being you And understanding and appreciating men, thus creating a deeper relationship with yourself as a feminine essence woman and attract better committed masculine men. Number two, it's all about letting go of overworking perfectionism and the need to control by overcoming your limiting beliefs, patterns, and obstacles to rediscover your worth and enoughness and rebuilding your faith in your own voice and your own decisions and exploring your boundaries and so on and so on. Number three, it's all about letting your body lead, stop overthinking, and start trusting your God. and your heart when it comes to making decisions, expanding and embracing your range of emotions, cultivating sense of awareness and pleasure and feeling more without apologizing for it. And I know if you're here, you understand and you know that the path to your masculine man who's a conscious, healthy man is through you, is through embracing your feminine nature, is through running with the wolves and embracing your wild feminine side and actually gaining power from it. And a healthy masculine man will only be attracted to that if you get to that place yourself. And last but not least, it's all about becoming deeply connected to yourself as a woman. Understand what true femininity is, exploring deeper levels of intimacy, and finally becoming free, lighter, and open, embracing basically the feminine side of polarity, because again, this is what your masculine man wants. And. It's all about stop living in the masculine energy by pushing, doing and choosing all the time and start living, enjoy freedom and your wild nature where you can surrender, where you can finally let go. Trust me, this is an amazing place to be and it's easy and joyful and it feels natural and feels like a woman. So if you resonate, go to girlskill.com slash apply and there's going to be a short survey, step one, just apply there and then the next step is to schedule a call with me. It's going to be an hour. We have fun on this call, so I hope to see you there. And my my calendar is booked for another, I mean, booked. My calendar is open for another week. So go ahead and do that. If you don't see times that are available for you, make sure you email me because I'll always make time for you to make sure that you get your spot. All right, girlfriend, keep running with wolves and I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. <laughs>